Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Men's Conference at the Hills Church in Fort Worth, Texas with Bob Goff and myself. So that's the crowd in the background if you're wondering. It's not like people just snuck into my office and decided to cheer randomly. It was an event. So uh, before we get to Bob Goff, this podcast is, it's not brought to you by, but uh, we want to give a special shout out to our friend Tamara. Going through a little chemotherapy these days to get rid of the old cancer. Uh, Tamara, I want to give you a shout out. I know cancer has taken away your beautiful hair, but cancer cannot take away your beauty. Stay strong. We're rooting for you. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Friends, especially you, Tamara, enjoy. (laughs) I think you have some uh, friends in the room here. I know. This is like old home week. It's just great being back with everybody. Again, thanks for letting me come back. I'm like the plague. I just keep returning. Yeah. So this is your fourth year, if you don't count the first. And yeah. so that's, we're very honored to have you back in Texas. Yes. Thanks. This is so great. And then I feel like we've done a bunch of life together. Remember last time I came, I couldn't see out of my right eye? Like on operation number seven, they made it work. <laughs> How cool is that? So I can actually see you guys. Last week, last year I couldn't. But this year, I can see everybody. <laughs> it seems like you've never met a stranger to you, but there might be some people in this room who've never met you yet. And I'm assuming at some point they will get a hug from you. Oh, yeah. But if they don't know you, it's very difficult to think of how to introduce you because you know that game, Two Truths and a Lie? Oh, yeah, right. You would dominate that because yes. there's so many crazy things about you. Yes, yeah. Like the Uganda thing. Yeah, isn't that nuts? Yeah, that's... Yeah, there's yeah. Some, still, they let me serve as the consul general for the Republic of Uganda. I'm not the diplomat to Uganda. I, I'm Uganda's diplomat to the U.S. <laughs> I still can walk into embassies and like, where's the Ugandan guy? I'm like, I'm the Ugandan guy. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> and your accent is really good. I know, it's really coming along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to keep up with you. Oh, man. That's how Maria, uh, just, it's like being married to Tigger. She's like, but she's like the wise owl. I'm like Tigger. She's like, buddy, no coffee. Uh, I think I make coffee nervous. I'm like, ah. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> you have a new book that comes out in a couple months, Everybody Always. Is that the That's title? That's it. I'm five years late. The guys at the publishing company were sending me certified mail. They're like, where's the book? I'm like, I could write a bad one in a weekend. Uh, But I just, I felt like I didn't have anything to say until uh, recently. And that whole idea that we could just include uh, the people that are feeling like they're on the outside a little bit, uh, that we could let them know, man, you got a chair at the table. Yeah. One of the lines you have in the book is that you don't, you can't tell someone what to do. You've got to tell them who they are. And... One of the things that's interesting is that you wear so many different hats for so many different people. Obviously, uh, your political stuff, you have your professional stuff as a lawyer. For the church, obviously, you've come to this retreat for years. And I've heard a rumor that this is the only men's retreat that you do. Is that true? Yeah, I think there's only one other time I've gone to a men's retreat. Okay, so yeah. this is your men's this retreat. Is this is your this group. This is my men's retreat. And how do y'all feel about that? Yeah, this is it. 
So, yeah. so for Texas and the Hills, you're the men's retreat guy. I, I've got a friend in Nashville, Annie, who was telling me when her church went through a tough time, you were the guy who showed up the next Sunday and preached. And you were like the, the father figure to tell everyone, we're going to get through this and we're, we're going to be okay. And so with all these different roles that you play, how do you personally see what your role is for the church? How do you define like who you are for, for the church? Yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's the same way that perhaps you as men define your role, that you just want to be a participant. You want to be helping. We each bring our game. You know, you bring all the hook shot you got. And I don't have much of a hook shot, um, but, I, but you take the things that light you up, the things that you feel like God has made you. And this isn't me talking, it's Paul to his friends. They, they said that some would be evangelists and others would do this job and others. And I really have this underlying belief that all together we make one really well-adjusted person. <laughs> but it's gonna take, you're gonna have to have some of us that are uh, on the Enneagram. We talked about that just briefly, like on, on the Enneagram, it's, uh, I'm a seven. I think you are too. Seven means you're just amped. It means you're just like the enthusiast, like people. Um, but I, I have a, a son-in-law who's a one, and he's terrific. That would be a person that's like a perfectionist. Well, I actually want him to be a perfectionist because he builds dams for millions of people. You don't want to be like that guy. <laughs> like, whatever, close enough. <laughs> but, if I, but, but if I'm reading scripture right, that we each bring our game, but, but the thing, men, that I'm trying to work on is I want to bring my authentic game. And I don't care what my faith looks like. I care what it is. And so sometimes when we get together, we start acting like each other instead of acting like Jesus. And so my role, I think, would be to be the most authentic version of Bob that it could be. Yeah. There's another line in the book that we don't need to listen to the loudest voice. We need to listen to the truest voice. And there's so many voices that are constantly saying, this is who you are, this is who you aren't. How would you help each of us listen to the true voice and find out who we are and not try to be, we don't need to be Bob, we don't need to be Rick, we need to be who we are. How, how would you help us do that? Yeah, I think uh, I've, I've done a whole lot of sailing before. And if you're trying to get across the Pacific Ocean, one of the things that's hard to, uh, about there is there's nothing to triangulate. There's no lighthouse to see your bearing between where you are and that. That's how you figure out where you are when you're near the shore. Uh, But I feel like we've come a long way from the shore. Nobody has anything to triangulate off of anymore. We've got everybody's opinions. But opinions are like toilet seats. Everybody's got a couple. Uh, I think think what I want to do is to say, what, I I won't be invited back. (laughs) But what does the word of God say? Like literally, it's, it's Mark 12. It says, your problem is this. You don't know scripture, so you haven't experienced the power of God. So I'm not just saying it like a homework assignment. People will say something to me, and, and I'll just make a note to myself, and I'll just go back in the morning uh, and say, is there any scripture that informs my belief more on that? And there's a lot of times I just don't know one way or the other. And so what I only talk about is things that I'm certain of. Literally, you can almost divide my life uh, with a line down the middle and say, these are the things I'm certain about, and these are the things I'm just guessing about. And the things I'm just guessing about, I don't talk about. And if if you could do that, many of you, and I I wouldn't either self-describe myself as a teacher, I, I don't think of myself that way, but Paul said we were. 
And we're teaching our sons and our daughters. We're teaching our community. And he said, don't tickle people's ears. Don't be loose on theology. Uh, but to just say things that are true. And I have a super orthodox theology. And here it is, to love everybody always. Like literally, that's as orthodox as you can get in your faith. And so if you do that and you meet somebody and they, they ask you, what's your position on this? And whatever the big hot social issue of the day is. I always say my position is I'm humble. <laughs> like, what do you think of gay people? I'm like, humble. What do you think of straight people? Humble. Buddhist, Baptist, humble. Like literally. But then go to the word of God. And then just say, can I inform my belief at all? That's a beautiful thing. And there'll be resources, your podcast, the teaching that Rick does from up front. And then Galatians says this, to if even an angel from heaven comes down and preaches a different gospel, don't have anything to do with it. So literally test everything that's said from this stage, tomorrow at the men's conference, Sunday at church, test everything against what scripture says. But don't pick a fight about it, but just know, just say, I'm just actually curious about that. How does that work? Jesus obviously would agree with you on that. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So love is a center. But for many of us, we seem to add other things onto it. I don't know if for you, you've always had this sort of centrality of love in your worldview and the way you treat people. Uh, has it always been that way? And if not, like, how did you get there? Yeah, I think, I think I'm still on my way. Uh, so when people say, like, are you a Christian? I say I'm still becoming a Christian. I'm still trying to learn. I have my faith in Jesus alone, but I'm still trying to live into these beautiful uh, commands that he gave us about how we'd live our love. And what's easy for me is to agree with all of it. What's hard to do is to actually obey some of it, to take these things that you don't understand. And he isn't interested in a bunch of men and women agreeing with him. I can't think of one time that he got all the disciples together and said, guys, just agree with me. (laughs) He said, go do it. And it'll lead you into unfamiliar territory. A dear friend got cancer. He was down in Houston. He was seeing the doctors to say what was going to go on. And in James 5, it talks about when, when you're sick, go get the elders to anoint you with oil. And I'm elder. I look like I'm older than dirt. I look like this when I was in the fourth grade. But <laughs> permanently old. It's like Benjamin Button. Like, so, but I went down uh, because scripture said I had a sick friend. And I, I couldn't find any oil. I thought I'd stop at a marketplace and get some oil or something. You know what all they had? <laughs> they had a Burger King. So I just like, I got some of that. Literally. <laughs> He went to the MRI smelling like French fries. And, but one of the things, if we can know what scripture says and then actually do it. So love God with your heart and soul and mind. I'll tell you, men, I'm not there yet. I'm positive. It, it makes my certain column. I'm certain I'm supposed to. But then I find perhaps like you do that I just don't do. It's Paul in Romans. He just says, I've got this beautiful idea, but I just keep doing the things I don't want to do. And I do the thing. You know, we just get it backwards. Uh, But it usually is a quarter of a twist. If you're like me, you're just a quarter of a twist off. And when they make wine, you see down in a basement, there's all the dusty wine bottles and they just give it a quarter of a twist. You know why? All the sediment sticks to the glass. That's why they're doing. You want good wine? Just keep giving your life a quarter of a twist. 
But, but the whole idea is you want to go 180. I actually talked to a guy who said, Bob, you've been so instrumental in my life. I've actually done a 360. I'm like, <laughs> you're actually right back where you started. <laughs> so, so find those things. And then, and so I'm working it out. I'm a trial lawyer. I win arguments for a living. I've never lost a case. It's not because I'm an awesome lawyer. I'm a good picker. I only pick cases nobody could lose. You could try the case. <laughs> Be like, literally, I could not even show up and I would have won. So, so don't engage in all of these silly arguments. Not me, that's Paul to Timothy. You don't need all that stuff. Philippians to consider others more worthy than yourself. And so when somebody says something kind of snarky to me on Twitter, are any of you guys on Twitter or social media or something? So every time, once in a while, somebody will say something mean. You know, what I'll do is I'll go into their feed and, and I'll re try to learn one thing from them. And then when I'm done, I block them. It's like a going away party. <laughs> okay. I, not many of us have used Burger King for religious purposes before. Oh, it works. But I feel like there's a new market that they could go into. Totally. And we hear these stories of you using Burger King to anoint people and going to Uganda and writing letters to the queen. And you do all these kind of like whimsical things. And many of us are like, I, like I've got a nine to five job. I'm an accountant and I, I can't do all that stuff. Uh, how would you help us those of us who have more normal constraints to our time to be able to have this sort of like free spirit that you do to be open to these crazy situations you find yourself and the great opportunities you have to show love to people. So it's that, uh, that playfulness. It's, uh, it's uh, Jesus with his two friends that are arguing about who gets the big chair next to him in heaven. And he says, unless you change and become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And it isn't a childish faith. <laughs> There's some of you, I know who you are. Like literally, <laughs> not childish, childlike. And that's what I'm trying to do, that more playful, childlike faith. I'm just telling you on behalf of all of your grandchildren to come or the ones that you have, they actually want that, the kids that you have at home. It's a childlike faith, living in constant anticipation to say what could, what, what might be possible with this and uh, turning something that feels really mundane into something that feels like really incredibly special. And you know the good part? You're already doing it. Keep it up. Keep doing it. I've never given Sweet Maria a daisy that had more than three petals on it, right? It's like, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. <laughs> it's all about where you start. But. <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing because I, I, what goes with being like Tigger is like you're not very good at organizing things. That's why I'd be bad at running an organization because I'm not organized. But there, fortunately, there are other people that are actually awesome at that. And so find the people that are good at these things and you're already doing it. Like that's it. You don't need more information. Like you don't come to this men's conference to get information. People don't grow where they're informed. They grow where they're accepted. And if we could just accept one another, that's the magic of the book of Acts. In Acts 2, they gathered together, they broke bread. You guys are going to eat pork bellies and barbecued alligator or something. But they gathered together and their numbers were added to daily. I know why. You guys have figured out what many people haven't. The power of a group of people, a 
bunch of men getting together to say, we're in this thing together. Let's go do this. Let's go grow. You don't need to hear that in Hebrew. You need to just own it in your life. Literally, and if we, we don't, if we start owning that stuff and we say, I'm going to go back in, having ricocheted off of all of you, more dedicated than ever to be the most authentic version of Bob Goff I can be, because I'm not trying to look like any of you. I'm trying to look like Jesus. And so there's people that distract me because I, find, I find myself saying, I'm trying to look like them, and I don't want to look like them. Just bring it back. Just say, I'm trying to be, and then just get real about where you're at. The first conversation uh, God ever had with man, he said, where are you? I actually got that phone call a little, not from Jesus, but it was from something. I'd take that call. Uh, But I was actually in San Diego and I never am. I, I get there for supper. Sweet Marie and I have supper together. And I'm like, I was in Minnesota yesterday, flew home for supper and then I like came here. So I, get, I was in San Diego, I'm in my sweats, and I get this phone call, and they said, Bob, where are you? And I could hear them in the back introducing me from the stage, <laughs> and like a fool, I said, where am I supposed to be? <laughs> I should have said, I'm on the way. Um, but I think that's what God wants to know for each of us. Like where we really are with him. And if we were a group of men who really knew where we were at with Christ, to say, this is what I'm absolutely positive about, and this is what I'm just uh, guessing about. It can be an informed guess, but I'm just guessing it. My goal is to move the stuff over here to over here. I want to move it from the I'm just guessing about it column to the I'm certain about it column. And I think this side of heaven, there'll be a lot of questions I'll still have, perhaps for you as well. But you just say, I just want to do that, but I want to do it in a winsome way. We were uh, laughing together because you have a couple daughters. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, going to say something at a thing in England. And I knew the date in March that I was going to be there, so I wrote to the queen. I said, can we meet? I'm going to be in town. If you're going to be in town, <laughs> we should hang out, right? So, but I wrote it on Embassy of Uganda letterhead. <laughs> Now, what are the chances she's going to meet with me? I'd like one in a million, but remember in Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying I have a chance, right? You guys approach your faith that way, saying, I don't know if the, if the Burger King oil will work, but it couldn't hurt. Like, just do that. And I'll tell you one thing I'm certain I'll get back. I'll get back a letter signed by one of her ladies-in-waiting. And she'll say, the, you know, the queen was just terribly disappointed she couldn't meet with you after pouring over your letter. And I just want to tell you that we're just disappointed, but heck no. So, but, <laughs> but fail trying. Lead your families. Lead your, your wife, your girlfriend. You got to pick one. You can't have both. But like, <laughs> lead them on this beautiful adventure right to the feet of Jesus. Keep pointing everything at him. This isn't a prank, and it's not like ding-dong ditch. It's like ding-dong, and you stay right there. <laughs> and just ring the doorbell, and you're like, there you are. And then you go, what do we do next? Like, I don't know, the next thing. And that's a, and each of us are wired different, but I just like, I want that for you guys, for all the beautiful things God's already built in your life. Heaven is leaning over the rails, wondering what's next. And you know what they hope? that you'll be one. John 17, 
He said, Jerry, explain this really complicated thing between God and Jesus. And it's like we get the glass up against the wall, and he says, they'll know what it's like between me and you by seeing the way you men are one. Like literally, so you want to do something awesome? All the Jesus stuff is going to happen around barbecue. In just a little bit, like people will see what's happening here at the hills. And you know what they see? They don't just see a bunch of men together. They see Jesus Christ. It's just beautiful. I don't get why it's that way, but you don't need to get it to do it. Did that answer your question? Yeah. (laughs) Earlier, you said you and I were both high energy. I feel like I'm almost dead compared to the energy you have. I'm just not even alive. So you got a new book that comes out in a couple months, uh, Everybody Always. Did I get the title right? Yeah. And in it, you tell a story about you've got a son who's in video work, and he was talking about how you sync up video and audio by doing the little clipboard thing. Yes. Right? And so when you, uh, when you do shoot videos, that happens. And so it now reminds you that every time you clap your hands to sync up what you say with what you do. Yes. And you're always talking about, like, we need to be consistent with what we say and then what we do. Um, I know in this room, there's going to be a lot of us this weekend who are going to hear this message and many other messages, and they're going to be very inspired to go live this out. Like We're going to be sold out, and we're going to be open and available for what God wants us to do in, in each and every moment. And then Thursday is going to come around, and we're going to have a coworker who's going to be rude to us, and we're going to snap. And then we're going to go home, and we're going to be rude to our kids. We're going to ignore our spouse, and we're going to go, I, I've completely blown it. How, how do you help us once we try to sync up our life and we go, I can't live up to what I always want to be. I can't be this sort of always available person to God because day to day, I just, I just drop the ball and I can't sync it up. Yeah, man, I get that. You just described my life. Um, I, uh, it, Matthew 15, it said that Jesus never talked to anybody without telling him a story. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't just give a bunch of information. I can't think of one time when he said what it meant in Greek or Hebrew. He just told a story. He could be having dinner. You know when all 12 of the disciples are on the same side of the table? Isn't that weird? So the, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Makes for a great picture, though. So, but if, if they said, you know, pass the salt, I'm just convinced Jesus would say, you know, Salt is kind of like your life. <laughs> They'd be like, dude, just pass the salt. So <laughs> when I got back from Canada this summer, I sent three emails. I sent one to a guy who shipwreck dives. You, you have to go so deep, you can't even breathe oxygen. It's nitrix. Like, I, I sent one to a guy who paraglides. You know, the, the, the big parachute and you jump off the cliff. And I sent one to a guy who had a helicopter. I said, I want to learn something new. Whoever emails me back first, I'm going with you. And so the helicopter guy emailed back, and he said, how about tomorrow morning? I'm like, I'm in. And so we got in this helicopter. I want you guys to do this with me. Here, there's a stick right here. Grab that with your right hand. All right? Now, with your left hand, I want you to reach down. That's the collective. The collective makes you go up and down. So start pulling up on the collective. All right. But the faster you're going up, you start torquing this way. So now put your feet out. Now you got the pedals. So you're torquing this way, so you need to put some right rudder in, okay? Keep it hovering. Now, he says, just hover over the number. It's the just part that was hard. And so (laughs) I started drifting a little bit to the left, so I went way to the right. We weren't even in the same zip code anymore. Then I went way back to the left, and he's screaming. He's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And he said, Bob, what I want you to do is that you grab that, grab that stick again. 
What I want you to do is move 100 times a minute, but all the diameter of a quarter, like literally 100 little movements. And so when you get back and you feel like you've blown it, make 100 little movements. It would just say, keep moving towards this beautiful, authentic faith. But get real with Jesus saying, I'm just not there. That's not a hall pass. That's just getting real with who you are. That's the problem with Ananias. He had this beautiful vision of who he wanted to be. And he's like, the disciple says, what do you got there? He's like, here's all the money, almost, <laughs> right? He, I think he, had, he, he wanted to be that generous. And, he, and chilling words from, from the disciples, you haven't lied to men, you've lied to God. And so I just keep thinking when I let myself or I'm sharp with sweet Marie or I'm insensitive to somebody or I'm just a fearful, just think I want to make one of another hundred little movements. But there'll be small increment movements all in the direction of Jesus. You get this beautiful idea. It's informed by your leaf. It's further informed, but it's another point to triangulate off of what does scripture say? And then just move in that direction and find a couple brothers. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you in this room. Find somebody disabled, but don't hold each other accountable. Hold each other close. Uh, that idea, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you find one time Jesus held anybody accountable. He just held his friends closely. You just say, man, I'm with you in that. That's what I want. I don't want a parole officer. I want a brother. I want somebody who'll come and say, I don't have figured out. And if we get that right, crazy thing, people see Jesus. You will too, and they will too. You keep going back to the importance of close friendships, friends who are consistent with you, the way of life that you're going. Why do you keep going back to that? Why do you think that's so important? I just have spent all my life, I pray these great big prayers, maybe like you do. And when I pray a prayer, what I've found is that God usually sends me a friend. Like somebody that's actually better at something than I am. It's more calm, more uh, less inhibited than me. And I hope that that would be our prayer. God, just send me one friend. This one person. And the crazy part, whatever you hear, you're going to hear some dazzling stuff from Daryl and Irwin, you won't hear anything dazzling from me, but you're going to hear great stuff from them. Make your prayer that you would find one or two guys here and do more than just saying, hey, what's your name and a chest bump? Just actually say, tell me about a week in your life. What would I see? Like just to just go a, a little bit further with something, just it's so beautiful for me because then I learned stuff. We had just such a beautiful conversation. I, I, I understand a little bit about Austin and these three young daughters and a beautiful family and some common friends we have. If we could just go a little bit deeper with one another, what we'll do is it, we'll get what we need to stand up against these things because you know what guides me a lot of times? I don't want to let you guys down. I don't want to be this guy on the surface and a completely different guy 10 feet deep. You know how that happens. That's what makes all the news is that somebody appears to be this and then they end up being that and everybody's so disenchanted. You go like, well, who can I believe anymore? What if you're the one safe person that just gets real with it? Man, I, I really want to be there. I'm not there yet. This is my plan. This is what I'm going to actually do. To get there. When you said God sends you someone calmer than you, I believe that would be anybody, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, everybody, always. Yeah, yes. no, 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 no. Yeah, there it is. That's close. <laughs> but we were talking. Let's go crowd surfing. And ooh, that's a, you first. Um, 
you did do that very same question to me when I first walked in the room. Tell me what your week's like. Tell me what your day's like. What is your life like? And you model that. You don't just say it, you actually do it. And one of the other suggestions that you made is when we all leave this room and we leave this place this weekend, don't just say the conference was great, but you actually have some things that you've written down. Uh, And you literally, again, did that. We were talking and I said something to you and you wrote it down. Now, truth be told, I quoted you a line from your book, which you (laughs) wrote down. This guy's good. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Which is pretty awesome. Why is it important for us to write stuff down? Why do you believe in that so much? Yeah, and everybody is wired different. So uh, the beautiful thing about having been around the sun as many times as we all have is that you actually know what works and what doesn't work. Uh, For me, I'll send myself uh, an email. If there's something that pings me, it'll be the odd time that something will, like I'll say something, go like, that actually made sense. And I'll write that down, and then I want to circle back to it later to say, does it square with scripture? Because I don't want to be that guy that's saying things that like rhyme or something. And if anybody gives you advice that rhymes, run. But like, (laughs) I want to actually say things that are true. And so what I'll do is I'll write it down or somebody else will say something. I wonder, I think to myself, that Galatians 1 thing, I go, let me just check that out. Not because I'm, I'm not going to send him an email and bust his chops about it. I just want to know if that's really true. And so this idea of a quiet time, I haven't had one in 20 years. Mine are really loud. Like mine are loud. And I'll take, like I'll get all these emails, like 60 of them. I'm like, him again, block. Um, but I'll say, I, I know it sounds right. Is it actually true? And so for you, if you're the same way, to get away from the end of this conference and saying it was a great time and uh, Daryl's a really talented guy and Irwin just hung on every word, uh, write down a couple of those and then go back because if you don't write them down, if you're wired like me, it's like this dog that runs across the field and you whistle and it'll never come back. And all you'll be left with, that barbecue was awesome. And if you remember more about the barbecue than what you're going to hear from Daryl and Irwin and all that, then I would say it's a missed opportunity. Don't feel guilty. Guilt is a punk. Literally, it's shame, guilt, all that. It'll steal your lunch money. And we walk away as men feeling guilty or ashamed of all this stuff. I would say be different. Just to say that's the beautiful promise of Scripture, that we get to be different men. Old Bob, I've spent 58 long years with him. I know all the things about old Bob. New Bob, I met him seven hours ago. We're just getting acquainted. Like literally, and that's the promise of scripture. So new you, get informed by some of the stuff that's pinged you. Go like, that actually kind of makes sense. So write it, literally, write it on on the palm of your hand. Remember a palm pilot? Like literally, just wherever, get it tattooed on your face, whatever, but get back to it. It's not rude, like literally to like have your phone and to take some notes. It's rude to like buy something on eBay while you're listening, but it's not rude to just take a couple notes. So take them and then do something with it. And just resolve that you're going to have this orthodox theology to love everybody always and that you engage some of the people that you've been avoiding. And some of them are in here. I was actually uh, not far from here and there was a... Uh, a, a large number of pastors together, and two of these pastors got sideways with each other a decade ago. And, uh, and we were talking about that idea in Matthew 5, like if you go to worship and realize somebody has something against you, to just get squared up with them. And this pastor actually texts the other guy 
And they bridged this decade-long divide because they decided to just get past it. And it was just so beautiful to hear later how these guys just made what seems like a small move, but it felt like, I bet that felt like a 30-pound phone when he picked it up. I want us to be those men that will actually be brave and courageous and do the tough stuff because all the low-hanging fruit, yeah, that's not going to change your life. It'll be doing some of the heavy lifting that'll actually change it. When you talk about you've been Bob for however many years and you're trying to look forward, what's the next Bob? What's the, the next version of you? Uh, some of us feel like we can't change. Like this is who I've always been. Many of us have come here this weekend with things that we've been wrestling with for years, maybe decades. And you're telling, no, let's go the next iteration, the next version of ourselves. How can some of us do that when we feel so tied to things in the past? Yeah, I totally get that. Part of these, uh, you could sum that up as thinking of it as a limiting belief. Like some of you, for instance, uh, grew up in phone, uh, homes that were broken, um, that uh, the mom or the dad left. And so you could form unconsciously this limiting belief that if you actually ever give yourself away to someone, that eventually they'll leave. And you don't know that's operating, but you only go so far in relationships and you wonder, well, like, why do I always kind of top out there or the, the depth seems kind of shallow before we top out. So one of the ways to get past the limiting to belief is to form a new intention and to say, this is my intention. So I have a limiting belief. I, I met a grandfather of mine once, and he said, I don't have anything to do with you. And that, um, uh, I was in my 20s at the time, and, uh, and I, uh, unwittingly, I formed this limiting belief that I wasn't good enough. Like, literally, I'd have to be someone else. When you ask, like, where did I get, like, how I am, it's probably some of us are shaped a lot by our insecurities. And one of the insecurities that I uh, carry with me all the time is that if people actually get to know me, they'd reject me. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And you have similar limiting beliefs. I don't know where that came from. Somebody broke up with me before the prom in high school, or I don't know what it was. But sometimes doing a little bit of spade work and saying, where did that come from? What's the return address? Because I really, I can tell you as minute, I kind of well up a little bit. I literally have this limiting belief. I'm a happy guy anyway, but I have this insecurity that if you really got to know me, that you wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. And that does not come from Jesus. And so some of these limiting beliefs that yeah, you just got to call it out and just say, that's a punk. That ain't true. Some of you have been up to some stuff on the side that you just don't want to talk about or think about or whatever. And you go like, we spent some time last year, remember, that God calls us beloved. He doesn't see, there's a lot of theology behind it, but he doesn't see our big mistake. God sees Jesus. And so if we can start putting Jesus in the place of this limiting belief. Find out where did it come from. But don't get stuck in this eddy of introspection to say, hey, I'm a new creation. If you can get that in the I'm certain of column, like it is for me, now we got a game. Because if you're just saying like, I don't know, maybe I'm just the old guy, then I would say, keep working on it. But if you can move that one across the column to I'm certain that I'm a new creation, I'm new Bob, then okay, like, so let's go do this thing. Right, And I might still have to do a little work to say, where do some of these beliefs come and how's it playing out in my life? Some of you, like with work, you're trying to, you get so much affirmation by some of the, I'm a trial lawyer, you get win a $100 million case. You get a ton of affirmation and a couple bucks too. Like it's actually a really terrific thing, but it's, 
then if you go home and then somebody that you love a lot is disappointed because you forgot to take out the trash or you did something else, there can be this like whiplash. And so to get our, our affirmation, to say, I want to get my affirmation from sweet Maria Goff. I, I want to get my sense of worth from Jesus Christ. And that these other things will be beautiful and I'll receive those affirmations, but I'm not looking for applause because if you want applause, join the circus. If you want Jesus, get real. Like get real, most real, authentic, vulnerable part of you. And it's actually hard to do, but it's actually good for me to let you know of my insecurities because I hope there's one guy in here that could say, yeah, me too. I feel that way all the time. How have you transitioned from finding the applause or the adulation from winning a case to finding that sort of worth and value from what your wife thinks about you? How, how have you been able to transition? Because many of us find our identity in what we do, what people say about us, and it, it shouldn't be from that. How, how do we reallocate that sort of uh, power in our life? Yeah, it's, uh, I, the way I think of it is kind of this dashboard of metrics that we all have to say, uh, how are we doing? Because uh, nobody wants to like not do a good job at whatever it is, but what... Uh, you need to understand is what are the metrics you're using. So like for me, if you think of a dashboard or of a car, RPMs, that's irrelevant. I always want to be red light because I'm like, right? So that actually isn't helpful. Odometer isn't actually that helpful for me because I don't like care. I got as many miles as I got in me. Um, but uh, the odometer that says, sweet Maria, how many miles am I putting on her life? That actually is a helpful metric. Um, the, the, uh, a metric that would say, like, how many cases I'm winning or something, that actually became a less important metric for me. It isn't that it's a bad thing. It's just I, I have a different thing. It isn't a better thing. It's a different thing. So I would say scrap the old car, and what if you rebuild a new dashboard of metrics and say, well, you might have an indicator for each of your kids or for each of the people that you love the most and to say, how my, how's my life working for them? That would actually be a really valuable metric. And you know what? You could actually ask them. Uh, you could just ask them, give me a one to 10, or you could just say, tell me how your day was. Tell me how I could do a better job as a dad. I ask my sons that all the time. I ask my daughter the same thing. How could I do better? This is my first time through. Um, I'm not going to pepper you through, pepper you with that, but I want to know, are there things I could be doing that would make your life better? Are there uh, purposes or the ambitions that you have that I could be helpful. Oh, Lindsay Goff, she wants to be an author because she wants to stay at home and make babies. Yes. So, <laughs> so we just wrote a kid's book together, right? Because I, like literally, she, I'd give her my liver. She, I can give her a couple words. Like, so let's go do, so find what it is that lights up the people that you're doing life with Ask your friends, how can I be a better friend? And then, but don't just say, oh, no, you're doing just fine. To say, oh, actually, what would be helpful to me would be this. If you gave me a call every once in a while, send me one text just to say that you're with me, like, that would mean a lot. Um, those practical things. So rebuilding a new dashboard. That's how I moved from being a lawyer to doing this thing right now. I'm trying to be downwardly mobile. <laughs> it's working. I literally walked into my own law firm after 28 years. It was two floors of a building uh, in downtown Seattle, and I quit. <laughs> I got everybody together, and, and I just said, I'm out. And they said, how come? I'm like, it's Thursday. I quit stuff on Thursdays. And I took, 
I took the key off my ring. I gave it to a guy who's 32 who'd been working for me a while. I said, it's all yours. <laughs> He's like, I get the whole offer. Like, I don't know you anything. I'm like, it's all yours, man. Now that's a stupid economic move. <laughs> but it's a great new creation move. I literally, I went home. Sweet Maria said, how was work today? I said, work? <laughs> She's like, no! <laughs> so, Figure out the next version of you, the next humblest version of you, and then start making moves in that direction. A hundred of them the size of a quarter. You've talked about certainties that you think we should have. Love is the center of our our theology. Loving God, love people. Uh, You're a new creation. If people only get one other thing into that certainty bucket, what do you want it to be? Oh, the people that you love the most. Like, that's easy. I would just say, who are the people that God's already dropped in your life? Instead of saying to go over to, we're going to Afghanistan in May. <laughs> I'm not sure how that'll work out. <laughs> we actually had a hotel reservation. They erased the hotel yesterday. They blew it up. I'm like, can I get my money back? So <laughs> take the stuff that you're certain of, right? Uh, and, and God has already dropped these people in your life. Just go care for the people. Like, kind of, it's like dance with the one who brung it. Like, just like, take the people that has already been dropped into your life and then just uh, love them better. Don't feel guilt. They don't have it motivated by shame and guilt. The, the return of the address of that ain't Jesus. But have it motivated by joy and hope and love and wanting to see them turn into the next version of them. Uh, most people don't need a bunch of pointers. They just need a hug <laughs> from you. They don't need a hug from me. They need a hug from you. Because you're the men that are speaking words into their life. They actually trust you. And that idea of the way to, to get to this end product of love is paved with availability. And I'll give you an example. Over in Waco, Texas, there was a guy that uh, passed away way too soon. His name was Keith Green. Remember him? The, the singer? And uh, I wrote him a letter when I was in college. It was before we had computers. Remember? A letter. And uh, (laughs) there's a stamp. Uh, And I wrote him. He wrote back to me three sentences. I couldn't even tell you what the three sentences were. I get 250 emails a day after writing Love Does. Everybody gets three sentences. You know why? I felt like such a boss that Keith Green wrote three sentences to me. I just want to write three sentences to people. Words coming from you really, really matter. Go home and write these words of affirmation. Send a text. Leave now. Like, we'll literally just do these things to people. Say, I just want you to know. You don't have to make it sound like Thoreau. Just like, just literally just say, you know, one thing I like about you is this. But what if you started today? Make that first one to your wife. Make that first one to your kid, to a grandkid, to say, I just want to tell you one thing about you. And then just continue to add to it. I'll tell you, man, you, you start doing that, it'll change their life. And I don't know if Richard will lose a house or a job or a wife or whatever he'll lose, but I bet he'll be as old as me and he'll get out that video, hearing from his dad who he is. And coming from you, it'll mean everything to them. Man, I just think we don't need to just pick daisies off of petals off of daisies. I think we can actually do this really meaningful stuff and tell the people around us who they are. No better people than the men that have been dropped in their life. You're the guys. Literally, you do that, a room full of men like this, you change an entire country.
I think we should end on that. Hey, you guys, thanks so much for letting <laughs> us hang out. I'm looking forward to a couple days. I want to learn stuff from you, and so bring it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>